Thank you, Tegan and the team, and just lots happening this morning. We've heard a lot about what God is doing, not only amongst us, but also around the world. I, I couldn't help myself during the song that uh, Miracle that was prayed, that Miracle Connect had written. The music just made me think of the theme music of Death in Paradise. Any of you watched that? Uh, <laughs> But it just came to my mind. But it's, a, it's a, um, just great to know that one of the things that I, I lead the cross-cultural missions team for Hills Baptist, and we have, a, have, a, have a, a leaning towards just funding people who know the culture, know the language, know the people who are in that place, who have faith, to encourage, fund them to share the good news and to empower them to be witnesses. But it's great, um, yeah, just to be part of a church that has a heart for people to know uh, the grace and love of God. For those who don't know me, my name's Robin Carter. I'm one of the pastors here, and I've got the privilege of finishing off the series on the pearl of great price that we've been looking at uh, in Matthew 13, verse 45. The kingdom of God is like a merchant seeking beautiful uh, pearls who when he had found the pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And as we focus on the finish up uh, this series, I'm taking a slightly different focus. We've been talking about Jesus as the pearl of great price. I'm focusing particularly this morning. It says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, everything that he wants uh, and is giving us in eternity and that he longs for us in this life is like a pearl of great price. So we're looking particularly uh, at um, the kingdom of God uh, being like a pearl of great price, the kind of life that he has called us to, both in, in, in the present and uh, for all of eternity. Rebecca and I, a couple of years ago, had the uh, privilege, it's for us, a once-in-a-lifetime five-day holiday in Europe. It was uh, the main reason we chose to do it. Rebecca came out from England when she was six years old. Her parents were 10-pound poms. So it was probably a lot of money then, but it may not have been a lot. But um, So uh, we wanted to see, and Rebecca has relatives in England, uh, my parents in the early fleets that came to South Australia came from Devon and Stone in England and we, wanted, we orientated our first couple of weeks in England around those things. But the reason I tell you that is that uh, during our time in England and when I'm on holidays, the time I get to read things that I don't get time to when I'm busy in pastoral ministry and preaching and doing uh, the things that I do here... I bought a, a book that summarised all the kings and queens uh, of England and uh, it, uh, it really struck me how the character and the values of the kings and queens of England, uh, how the rulers shape the kingdom. We've been looking at Jesus as the pearl, as the king, as the lord and rightly so as the pearl of great price but we're looking this morning at what that means for our lives, how we are meant to live and what God uh, has called us to. Henry VIII, uh, he, as you probably most fairly popular king or people who, who know quite a bit, he's one who's known a bit more than some of the others. Uh, he broke with uh, uh, the Catholic Church and formed the Anglican Church and made England a Protestant nation, his values, the things he, he uh, believed in um, and for reasons which may not have been quite as noble uh, so that he could divorce his wife was one reason he wanted to break with the Catholic Church but it had incredible impact on, on the British nation and it changed the shape of land ownership and power in England. Parliament was given in greater power under his uh, kingship. And then you get James I in the early 1600s, 
He was called the wisest fool in Christendom. He gave us the King James Bible. He was a very pro-England uh, being a Protestant nation. Uh, he was also bisexual, and uh, that's part of his key advisors were, had that orientation. But he also was the one during his reign who uh, Guy Fawkes was the first pro-Catholic terrorism that happened, remember? Tons of uh, gunpowder was brought into Parliament House. Fortunately, they got caught before it was able to be ignited. But that all happened under, under, the, um, under King James I. And he united Scotland and England. He had a very strong desire to both religiously and politically to unite um, uh, uh, England as uh, Britain as, as one, uh, one, one nation. And so his values shaped what he did and what people suffered or enjoyed during his reign. Charles I was a, was a king who had absolute conviction about the divine right of kings. And he thought that he was God. Uh, almost, well, basically everything that he wanted to do, he just thought he had a right to do. Under his kingship, juries were stacked with people who already assumed the person was guilty. Uh, things were done in a way that within a couple of hours, juries weren't fed and watered so they'd make a quick decision. People were executed for reasons that often they were innocent. He was a king who led, a, he ended up with a civil war happening under his reign and then um, a Puritan lawyer by the name of um, uh, uh, John Cook cab ranked as the lawyer to trial, try the king on treason and out of his, the Puritan lawyer's um, influence what we have today of assumed innocence prior uh, to having a jury convict you, um, the whole sense of having a jury that meets and considers things, uh, the whole idea of trials for people like Milosevic, <laughs> I've got to say the name, Milosevic and Hossein and other leaders that no one is above the law. And that came because of uh, the Puritan lawyer who shaped things that began to be part of the British and what we call modern uh, Western civilization. They were birthed out of uh, these, people's, uh, these people's lives. And then Queen Victoria was someone who had the, one of the longest reigns of any monarch. She was very progressive and a lot of things uh, that uh, took place, advancements in technology and living standards. England began to change the world, banned all women and children from working in mines, encouraged education. She passed a law that meant every child had to go to school. Education was free of charge. So I just give a little bit of a picture of some of the kings and queens who shaped the kingdom and for good or evil, their values shaped what happened in their kingdom. And then we're looking at Jesus, we've been looking at Jesus as the Lord, the one we follow. He is the Lord, he is the King, not only of our lives, not only of this church, not only of the world, but of all the universe. And we've been looking at um, Jesus as, as the King and the Lord. And for a few minutes this morning, uh, we're just going to look at what it means for our lives. We have saw how different people were affected under different kings and queens in England. We're under the Lordship of Jesus Christ who he is, what he stands for, the grace that um, we've talked about over the last few sermons, the grace that he brings to us, the sacrifice he made so that we could be freely welcomed into God's kingdom, the rescue he came to deliver us, to make us God's children. He's the kind of king who reaches out um, with welcome and unconditional love towards people because of what he has done uh, for us on the cross. He's light, he gives us purpose and direction. 
He speaks the truth about who we are and what we need to do to be in a relationship with God. His cross, the truth of the cross, the message of the cross, the message of God's grace is all summed up in who Jesus is, what he did, his perfection as a person, his perfection in his purposes and all uh, that he stood for. In Isaiah... We read, speaking of Jesus and the kind of kingdom he leads, the kind of kingdom that we are participating in now and will be part of for all of eternity, Isaiah writes, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit in him, the same spirit that is in us, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. He will be gentle and gracious to the wounded and the hurting. That's the kind of kingdom that we are a part of. That's the kind of thing that should be shining out through uh, the light of the church. And God has brought his kingdom into our lives by the Holy Spirit. And that's the kind of king that we worship is the kind of values and the kind of things that we should manifest in, in our lives. I'm going to summarise, I'm trying to keep uh, everything I'm saying uh, that I said to Rebecca in about seven minutes the other night and I'm probably taking 14 or 15 this morning, um, just to say that, the, to summarise, there's 190 references to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the words uh, used interchangeably. It's all about the reign and rule of God in our lives now and for all of eternity. I'm going to summarise those 190 uh, references in the New Testament with one verse in Romans um, that, uh, that uh, says in Romans 14 verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness or right relationships with God and each other and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When we know the grace of God, when we know the kingdom of God in our lives, when we know for certainty that we belong to, the, to our Heavenly Father, that we know that we are loved by Him, we will uh, live out our lives in ways that will uh, bring about right relationships. We are in a right relationship with God by the grace of God. And as we live out and give out the same uh, grace and love that God has given us to each other, our relationships uh, will be as they should be. How often have you heard someone say, I would give anything to restore my relationship with my son or my daughter or my, my parents or somebody who you've been close to? Once you've experienced something beautiful and something good and something that you highly value, we would do anything to restore that relationship. And in this life, we are the children of God and nothing can change that. But we are challenged and called to do anything that we can to restore and put relationships right with each other, to give grace and forgiveness uh, to each other. And as we do that, there will be peace, not only in our own hearts, we have peace with God now and for eternity. But as we have God's peace in our hearts, we will be a person of peace in our home. We'll be a person of peace in the life of the church. We'll be a person of peace in the community and in the workplace. And as those things, we manifest God's kingdom in all relationships. God has called us to that, and we know the beauty of it. And I'm sure all of us would, when you've known the beauty of the closeness and the intimacy of a friendship and with family members, of knowing your connection with them, if that is broken, you would do anything to restore it. Nothing will change the intimacy we have with God. But so often, between us as God's people and within our families, 
the peace, the right relationship uh, can easily uh, be broken by our own actions. And then out of all that uh, comes a joy in God. And to summarise that, I'm just going to read from Matthew 5 where Jesus said, uh, Blessed and spiritually prosperous, happy and to be admired are the poor in spirit, um, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven both now and forever. Blessed and forgiven, refreshed by God's grace, are those who mourn over their sins and repent, for they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. Blessed and inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, worthy of respect are the gentle, the kind-hearted, the sweet-spirited and the self-controlled, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed, and here's the joy, joyful, uh, nourished by God's goodness, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek what is right uh, before God, for they will be completely satisfied. Blessed, meaning content and sheltered by God's promises, are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed, anticipating God's presence, spiritually mature are the pure in heart, those with integrity, moral courage and godly character, for they will see God. Blessed and spiritually calm and with life, joy and God's favour are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express his character in everything they do. And it goes on the last couple. Uh, blessed and comforted by inner peace and of God's love are those who are persecuted uh, for doing what is morally right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed and morally courageous, courageous and spiritually alive, with life joy in God's goodness are the people when people insult and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of your association with me. Be glad and exceedingly joyful, for your reward in heaven is great, absolutely inexhaustible, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets. But this peace, this joy of knowing God's presence can remain with us uh, despite our earthly uh, circumstances. And the kingdom reality that we can know in our family and in the church, in terms of inheriting it now and knowing it in our experience, um, withstands the storms of life. When Jesus told the story of the house on the rock and the house on the sand, he was saying, those who do what I say, who live out this kingdom, if you're living in the reality of what I've just read to you, then no matter what life throws at you, no matter how uh, horrific it is, the things that happen to you or around you or to your family or to those that you love, somehow, deep within, you will have an inner joy and peace that is God's presence within you despite your outward circumstances. But even as we have good relationships, as we have a closeness maybe with our husband or wife or with our children, with our parents, um, with friends, that, if you like, reality of God's kingdom in our daily experience can be destroyed um, by sin that can enter our lives. We can fail, if you like, to inherit and live in the reality of the kingdom of God in this life. Nothing will change the eternity that we have before us. But sin now will, if you like, you're not going to inherit the kingdom in this life. If I had an affair, my, I know Rebecca wouldn't be around the place, my family relationships would be destroyed, my relationships with you would be destroyed, and rightly so, and my sin would cause, if you like, the reality of God's kingdom and the peace and the harmony of relationships that I can know now. I won't inherit those things in this life if I commit things that violate the kingdom of God. 
In um, Galatians 5, it says, The acts of the flesh, the sinful nature, obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, and here's some a bit closer to home, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean if you're a believer that you'll go to hell if something like that is happening in your life, but it means you're not experiencing, you're not inheriting the reality of God's kingdom now and in this life. You're destroying the reality. You're not in your family or in the church and in your workplace or in the friendships that you have. You're not inheriting what God intends for you in this life. Nothing will change the fact that you'll have it for eternity, but we will not have, we aren't um, participating in what God intends for us here and now in our English translations and often we read that and we think that anybody who does any of those things at any time in their life are condemned to hell. It's not what's being said there. In the original and in the different, um, uh, the original languages it makes it clear that these things are things that God intends us to enjoy now and if we do things that violate God's kingdom, grace and forgiveness and repentance can restore it but we won't be inheriting it in the moment that these things are happening in, in our lives. And so as uh, we talk about an irresistible kingdom, as we know the grace of God, when you know that you are loved unconditionally, you will do anything for that person. The person who loves you unconditionally, who you know accepts you, no matter the good or the bad things that you do, when you know that with another human being, you will almost do anything uh, to, to, to connect with that person, to do the things that you know uh, will continue uh, the relationship. And so with our relationship with God, when God has shown us his grace, when we know the joy that comes from intimacy with God, when we know his spirit is within us, when we know uh, that we have peace with him for eternity, we will, because of the, like Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him, we don't make sacrifices to win anything. We simply know the joy of God's love and grace and that motivates us to let go of the things. Remember Dave had people lined up at the front, untethering themselves from the things of this life and tethering themselves to the grace and love of God in the person of Jesus. And when we see how amazing God's kingdom is, how amazing his grace is, the kind of ruler that he is, the one who... Uh, a bruised reed he won't break. The one who is the Lord of all the earth is the one who loves us. And as we let that reality shape us more and more, then we will uh, be living in a way that we will continue uh, to do what uh, we are called to do, what we, out of love for God's grace for us, we will participate in the things that will bring honour to God, not just in the life of the church. People come here at 7.30 because of the joy and the love they have for Jesus. People come here and prepare during the week for hours to prepare for the children because of their love and the joy they have in knowing who God is and their desire for our children to know the grace and love of God. In one sense, it's not a huge sacrifice because you're motivated by love and grace. And that's what the pearl of great price is all about. As we look at Jesus, as we look at the kingdom that he offers, right relationships, peace within and peace with others, and joy in the presence of God no matter what life throws at us, as we, that reality becomes more and more uh, 
real to us in our experience, we will find ourselves just doing the things that serve God's kingdom purposes. There's so many people have um, gone, given their lives because they just know that Jesus is the one who is uh, the one who loves them. This irresistible kingdom, shaped by the grace of God, the rest that we have in God, whether it be Baptist, whether it be Catholic, whether it be Pentecostal, when Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, he was talking uh, to Jewish people who uh, the Pharisees had 675 little laws that you had to obey to make sure you uh, were following the big laws and there was this huge burden that you were having to do all these things to be acceptable to God and to uh, do the right thing. Jesus came along and said to the religious people, said to people under the burden of religious people, my, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, not meaning a license to sin, but simply a sense that you are loved and out of knowing that love, you begin to live uh, in ways that honour and please God. And uh, you're not just ticking boxes of laws and trying to earn approval with and be seen to be spiritual in the life of the church by doing certain things that other people may be doing, but you live in the grace and the freedom and the joy of what God um, has called us to. As we allow the reality of the kingdom to shape our lives, then we will know more and more in our daily relationships, harmonious relationships, within the family, workplace, church, in the community and even in the world as God's kingdom principles guide how nations interact. As uh, we know the peace that God has given us, as we know the joy that we have in God, it will be an irresistible kingdom that we cannot help but want to serve in because we know we're loved. We know that we belong to, the, uh, to our Heavenly Father for eternity, no matter what we do uh, in our lives. And as we come, and I'd invite the musicians to come, as we come to share in uh, communion, Paul was writing uh, to uh, the church in Corinth. And I know I've alluded to this before, but it fits this morning's message incredibly uh, well. He had to rebuke the Corinthians because as they came to eat the Lord's Supper, there were some people, uh, the rich were bringing their food and wine and even getting drunk, it was saying, and the poor would go hungry when they came to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And he said to them, you need to examine your hearts. You need to look at what you're doing. Is what you're doing as you come together reflecting the kingdom of God? Is it reflecting God's heart of compassion and justice and mercy that he wants to see in the life of the church, he wants to see in our individual lives? And Paul said that, um, yeah, we need, we need to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, how much is God's kingdom shaping my heart? How much is God's kingdom shaping the things that we do as a church? And there's so many things that do reflect God's kingdom in the life of our church. So as we come to communion in a moment, I want us to just come quietly and uh, just uh, have opportunity to come and eat the bread and cup. But I want us to just reflect as we come. Examine your own heart and ask God to show you things that will express more of his kingdom in your life. I know after being to Bangladesh, when I first started working for Baptist World Aid, I saw extreme poverty, came home and saw my extreme riches. I don't have to feel guilty about that, but I didn't take communion 
for three or four months until I adjusted my giving to the poor because my brothers and sisters in the country where I'd been, I knew that they, they were children of God just as much as I am. And here I am, I can just go on and forget that they even exist. And so I was challenged as I came to communion that God's kingdom values would be shaping who I am, would be shaping who the church is. Uh, and I wanted to be able to eat and drink knowing that I was uh, not violating uh, or bringing dishonor on the gospel uh, by the way uh, that, that I was living. And so for the, as we come in a moment um, to share in communion, come quietly, reflect on your own heart. Reflect on us as a body, and there's incredible expressions of God's kingdom amongst us. But just ask God, is there things that we could be doing that would show more of his kingdom? Confess these things to God as you come and just uh, um, and take the bread and cup. And there'll be people, uh, just somebody standing near the table where who can pray with you, if just anything that you might like prayer for. And there's also an opportunity as you come. And it was in the email during the week. There's an opportunity, just a, a bowl on the table. If you want to put something in that bowl that could be used to bless someone who's doing it tough uh, financially around this Christmas time, the elders will discern who uh, to give it to. Um, and uh, if you come or you don't um, feel guilty if you haven't come prepared about that, but the opportunity is to bring, a bring something that would uh, bless someone else in the life of the church and, and express God's kingdom and God's grace and God's love to someone in need uh, during this Christmas season. There's the opportunity with the tear gifts after the service uh, to bless those uh, funding Christians to help people out of poverty, all the different things that you can purchase that um, uh, the funds are used to, to fund Christian people, to empower people out of poverty. And after the service, uh, Jared and Steve and Jess will be at the table over in the left-hand corner there and just take the opportunity um, to, um, to bless others this Christmas in that way as well. So let's come and uh, just as I pray and then we'll come and uh, receive the communion. Father, we thank you that the kingdom that you've called us to, the kingdom that is the expression of your heart and who you are, is growing more and more in our hearts and in the church and in the, in the, even in the world, Father. And we ask, Lord, that we uh, will listen to your spirit. We won't quench your spirit if you are speaking to us. Father, we ask that uh, we will uh, have soft hearts that your kingdom will express itself more and more in our lives and in, in the world and in this church. I pray in Jesus' precious name as we come to receive the bread and cup that reminds me of the ultimate sacrifice that you made, that we might be your children and you can declare us loved by you, forgiven by you, received by you, members of your family. Lord, let us reflect on that and then reflect on what you are calling us to. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.